Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we know that you love your church. And we know that you have given your church good gifts. Gifts that help us to live out our lives faithfully and joyfully. And so as we come to your word this morning, we thank you for the gift of your word. We pray that we would come to it reverently and expectantly, trusting that you speak through it. And so we ask that the Holy Spirit would help us. And we ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, there's four separate men that I'd like us to think about this morning. All four of these men died a long time ago, but I trust that they're all still very much alive. They're still very much alive in heaven. All four of these men are mentioned in the verses that we'll be looking at this morning. And we'll be looking at the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. The first man is the Apostle Paul. Maybe some of you have heard of this fellow. He was indeed an apostle, which means that he was someone who was directly commissioned by the Lord Jesus Christ to be a leader in the church and someone who was commissioned by Jesus to spread the good news far and wide. It was Jesus' apostles who set the parameters uh, around Christian doctrine and delivered to us on behalf of Christ the body of faith, which we still receive today. We say the Nicene Creed every Sunday, trusting that it's what Jesus would want us to say and trusting that it's what the apostles believed. The Apostle Paul was used by the Lord Jesus to plant the church in Philippi. The Apostle Paul was used by the Lord to write the text that we have before us today, the letter to the church in Philippi. And we'll come to more about Paul later. The second man that I want us to think about this morning is a chap called Timothy. As you may remember, Timothy met the Apostle Paul when Paul came through Timothy's hometown of Lystra. Timothy ended up joining the Apostle Paul on his missionary journey, and the two of them became quick friends. Arguably, Timothy was the Apostle Paul's closest friend and his most consistent colleague in his missionary endeavors. He was also used by the Lord to plant the church in Philippi. And according to chapter 1, verse 1 of this letter, uh, this letter is also, in a sense, from him, right? Paul is writing on behalf of himself and Timothy to the church in Philippi. The third man is a fellow called Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus was a Christian gentleman from Philippi who had been sent by his friends to deliver a gift and some good news to the Apostle Paul. We learn in this text that he was a great help to the Apostle Paul and that he was well-loved by his friends in Philippi. But what's important to understand about Epaphroditus is that he was a Philippian, right? Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, and so when Paul mentions Epaphroditus, the Philippians would have recognized who he was talking about. They would have recognized the name of a friend. And the fourth and final man is someone who I hope you've all heard of. In fact, I hope you've all met him. And he's mentioned in verse 21, and we find mention of a man named Jesus Christ. This man is the Son of God who was sent into the world a number of years ago to redeem humanity from their sin and to reconcile them to God. At this moment, he is in heaven, reigning and ruling through his Holy Spirit. And as we go along together as a church, I hope that we'll come to see that Jesus is not just casually mentioned in the Bible, but the point of the whole Bible. Now, you might think it inappropriate, me, inappropriate for me to group the Lord Jesus in with these three other men, but the Lord Jesus was pleased to call these three men brothers. 
And that's one of the glorious things about Jesus is that he has always been willing to associate with the strangest of people. And so there you have it, four different men, the Apostle Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus, and the Lord Jesus. All of them are really quite different, but this morning, I'd like us to dwell on a few ways that all of these men are similar. I'd like to draw out some of the similarities that exist between these four men. First, I'd like you to notice that all four of these men were weak. Their lives were defined in one way or another by weakness. When the Apostle Paul wrote his letter, he was in prison. He had been stripped of his rights and his dignities. He had been deprived of his resources. He was down and out. Multiple times throughout the Bible, Paul refers to his own weakness. He admits that he was a weak man. Timothy was also weak. Timothy is mentioned a great deal throughout the Bible. He's mentioned in 12 of the biblical books. His name uh, is the title of two of our biblical books. And as the Bible develops a portrait of Timothy, we find a man who was rather young, rather sickly, and temperamentally rather shy. And so in short, Timothy was a rather weak man. Epaphroditus was also weak. Like Timothy, he was rather sickly. We don't know the nature of the disease that Epaphroditus had. It could have been physical or it could have been mental. But whatever the case may be, it nearly killed him. We learn about this nearly deadly illness in this morning's text. And then there's the Lord Jesus, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He too was weak. He knew what it was to be exhausted. He knew what it was to be overwhelmed. He knew what it was to have his muscles give out under the burden of a weight which was too heavy to bear. Referring to Jesus, the Bible says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. And elsewhere it says he was crucified in weakness. And so Jesus, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, knew what it was to be weak. And so all four of these men were weak men. And you know, all of the Bible's great men were weak men, and indeed all of the Bible's great women were weak women. There was a group of men called the Mighty Men of David who were rather strong, but the Bible says very little about those men. The Bible majors on weak people. It's something to go away and think about. To think about. God does not shun the weak or drive away the weak, but rather he loves the weak and he works mightily through the weak. Even Jesus Christ, the one and only Son of God, became weak that he might conquer the world. Now all four of these men's men were also servants. In verses 22 of our text, Paul makes it clear that he and Timothy were servants. Paul writes, but you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. Paul and Timothy were just a couple of servants. And the Greek word that Paul uses to refer to himself and Timothy as servants is a verb related to the Greek noun for a slave. And so it's a very serious word, right? Serving Christ was, in a sense, being a slave for Christ. And Paul was never afraid to call himself a slave for Christ. And so we see in the life of Paul and Timothy and then Epaphroditus and Jesus that the business of gospel proclamation, the business of bringing the gospel far and wide, is a service business. It's also worth noting that Paul wanted to send Timothy to the Philippians because Timothy was someone who would have genuine concern 
for their welfare, right? Timothy was someone who Paul could trust to arrive in Philippi with the intention of serving the people who he found there, not trying to lead them in a domineering way. Epaphroditus was also a servant. When he initially came to the Apostle Paul with the gift, the financial gift that the Philippians had sent to Paul, he found the Apostle Paul in need. So Epaphroditus opted to stay with the Apostle Paul and help him. Right? Paul refers to Epaphroditus as my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. Epaphroditus was what you might call one of the first prison ministers or one of the first prison chaplains. You can imagine Epaphroditus going into the prison to visit the Apostle Paul, bringing him encouragement, perhaps bringing him some food. We have no way of knowing exactly what this looked like, but it very well could have been the case that Epaphroditus was the one who brought the parchment and the pen that Paul used to write the very first letter to the Philippians. Epaphroditus was a prison minister, right? A prison chaplain, serving Paul in his time of need. And then, when we shift our gaze and allow it to rest on the Lord Jesus, we have to admit and we have to worship him because we see that he too is a servant. We can think of his feeding the 5,000 and of his feeding the 4,000, presenting food to people in time of need. We can think of his multiple healings. We can think of when he washed the feet of his disciples before he died. Jesus was a servant. We can think of the words that the Lord Jesus spoke, recorded for us in Mark chapter 10. For even the Son of Man came not to serve, sorry, not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Lord Jesus was a servant too. And so at this point, what do we have? We have four weak servants. Four weak men who dedicated their lives to the service of others. You have old Paul in prison, trying as hard as he can, to help out his beloved churches. You have young, sickly, shy Timothy trying as hard as he can to carry on the missionary work of the church in Paul's absence. You have sickly Epaphroditus trying to minister to Paul in his need. And you have the Lord Jesus emptying himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, four weak servants. These four men were also men who had a great capacity for sacrifice. All four of these men were willing to give up great things for a great cause. The Apostle Paul gave up an illustrious career as a Jewish intellectual and religious leader for the life of a wandering preacher on the fringe of society. In chapter 3 of this letter, Paul will go through his long list of credentials and call them all rubbish. They were something he gladly sacrificed for the sake of Jesus Christ. In the context of this text, what we see Paul doing is sending away two of his best friends during his time of need. You can imagine Paul was lonely and in prison. He was depending upon Timothy and Epaphroditus, but instead of keeping them to himself, instead of telling them to stay with him, he sends them away because he's eager to bless the church in Philippi. He's eager to sacrifice for the church in Philippi. Timothy was also someone who made great sacrifices. He left what might have been a comfortable life in Lystra to follow Paul in his missionary endeavors. With Paul, Timothy would have endured persecution, backlash, physical violence, and so on. Furthermore, Timothy was not temperamentally disposed to the kind of work that he ended up doing. And yet he did it, a sacrifice he was more than willing to make. 
And then we have Epaphroditus who made sacrifices too. Look at what Paul wrote to the Philippians about Epaphroditus. Look at verse 29 and 30. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Now, we, as I said, we don't know the nature of Epaphroditus' sickness, but Paul says that he nearly died for the work of Christ and that he risked his life to complete the Philippians' service to Paul. Epaphroditus was willing to risk life and limb for the sake of Christ and for the sake of his fellow Christians. He was willing to make great sacrifices for the sake of the gospel. And then, of course, there's Jesus, who's famous for his sacrifice. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus gives his life so that we might have life. He takes the punishment that we deserve and gives us the righteousness and life that we do not deserve. Jesus left the glories of heaven to come to earth so that he could serve and sacrifice for the sake of sinful humanity. And so what do we have now? We have four weak servants with a great capacity for sacrifice. Four weak men who dedicated their lives to the service of others and who gave up much for the sake of others. Now we also see in this text that all four of these men had tender hearts. They did what they did with a great love and a sincere care for others. Considered as a whole, the letter to the Philippians and every other of Paul's letters are expressions of love and care. You could almost say that all of Paul's letters are love letters. Paul wrote to the church in Philippi and to other churches because he cared deeply for their welfare. He wanted them to continue on in the faith and to enjoy all the blessings of Christ. In our text for this morning, Paul says right at the beginning that he's eager to be cheered by good news from the Philippians and that he's eager to go and visit them. Throughout the letter, Paul expresses his love and his care for the Philippians, communicating to them how much joy he finds in his friendship with them. Also, Paul expresses the sort of care that he had for Epaphroditus in this text. When Epaphroditus was sick, Paul was anxious and he didn't want to have sorrow after sorrow. And now with regard to Timothy, he's someone who Paul says will be generally concerned for the welfare of the Philippians. Paul says, that so many, Paul says that so many others only care for themselves, whereas Timothy was the sort of guy who had the interests of Jesus Christ in mind. Timothy was not ambitious for himself. He was ambitious for Jesus Christ. He wanted the Philippians to enjoy Jesus more, follow him more faithfully, and glorify him greatly. Timothy wanted to forward the cause of Christ in the life of the Philippians. Why? Why did Timothy want to forward the cause of Christ in the life of the Philippians? Because he loved them, right? Because he had a tender heart towards them. Epaphroditus was also tender-hearted. We learned that Epaphroditus was there with Paul worried that the Philippians were worried about him, right? Sometimes we worry that our friends are worrying about us. And we see that with Epaphroditus. He empathized with Paul in his weakness, and he empathized with his friends who were empathizing with him in his weakness. And then once again, we come to Jesus. Just yesterday, the women of our church uh, finished reading through Dane Ortland's book, Gentle and Lowly. The book is a sort of extended meditation on the words of Jesus found in Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, 
and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so here Jesus describes his own heart as being gentle and lowly. He describes his own heart as being tender. Jesus tells us that he too is tender-hearted, someone with a deep love for those who need help. And so what do we have now? We have four weak, tender-hearted servants with a great capacity for sacrifice. And finally, I want us to see that all four of these men had what you might call the mind of Christ. The Apostle Paul, like Christ, wanted to see men, women, and children saved. He wanted his friends to persevere to the end and to come into the joy of their Savior. Like Jesus, Paul loved sinful humanity and wanted to see them redeemed and made new. With regard to Timothy, we're told that he didn't look to his own interests, but that he looked to the interests of Jesus. Timothy was concerned with the glory and the purposes of Jesus. His whole life was governed and guided by the truths and realities that he had found in Jesus. And this is much of what it means to have the mind of Christ. Timothy was taken up with what the Lord Jesus was taken up with. Epaphroditus, as we've noted, almost died for the work of Christ. Epaphroditus considered Christ and the cause of Christ worthy of his life. And so with dogged devotion, Epaphroditus pursued those ends which he knew were close to his Savior's heart. And so these three men were profoundly Christian. Their whole worldview and their whole lifestyle had been overhauled by their encounter with the Lord Jesus. Throughout their lives, they looked to the Lord as their help, their guide, and their friend, their Lord and their Savior. Their minds had been renewed and refreshed day by day, and they had come to resemble the Lord Jesus, which is, at this point, why we come to the Lord Jesus. And we simply have to say, well, it's a bit strange to say that Christ had the mind of Christ, because that's obvious, right? It's his mind. But it's good to remind ourselves of what this mind is like. And so let's go back to Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. These verses give us a glorious image of Jesus as a weak, tender-hearted servant with a great capacity for sacrifice. These verses paint a beautiful gospel picture revealing to us the Savior who is willing to give up all for our sake. It's this Savior that captured the hearts and minds of Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus and made them into the men that they were. And I hope we all realize that the similarities between these four men are based on this profound truth, that love for Christ produces Christ-likeness. I'm going to say that again. Love for Christ produces Christ-likeness. The reason that Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus looked like Jesus is because they loved Jesus. Now, before I close, I want to mention the fact that in our text, it's very clear that Paul is communicating to the Philippians his future plans. Right? Paul is wanting the Philippians to know that they should expect Timothy and Epaphroditus. And so at this juncture, I want us to pause for a moment and wonder together why 
Paul was so eager to send Timothy and Epaphroditus. We see that Paul wanted to be cheered by good news, and we see that he wanted to calm the anxieties of the Philippians for Epaphroditus. But there's something else going here, and so there's something else going on here. And so let me ask the question this way. What happens when weak, tender-hearted servants with a great capacity for sacrifice in the mind of Christ come together? Let me ask that again, because long question. What happens when weak, tender-hearted servants with a great capacity for sacrifice and the mind of Christ come together? What's going to happen when Paul sends two of his best friends to his other friends in Philippi? What's going to happen when these weak, tender-hearted servants with a great capacity for sacrifice and the mind of Christ come together? And here's the answer. Here's the answer which you see all throughout the book of Philippians. The result of this kind of coming together is joy in the Lord. Paul himself wants to be cheered by the Philippians. And Paul wants the Philippians to receive Epaphroditus with all joy. The letter to the Philippians is littered with the language of joy. Right? The letter to the Philippians has this great sort of forward motion, this great sort of chugging forward feel. Paul wants his friends in Philippi to come together and to work together for the sake of the gospel. And part of why Paul is so eager for this is because it results in intense joy. And we even see that in the life of Jesus, right? Why did Jesus go to the cross? Because of the joy that was set before him. And what do we get told happens in heaven when a sinner is saved? It says that there's great rejoicing before the angels, right? It's not the angels who are rejoicing, it's God who's rejoicing before the angels in heaven. And so here's the truth that I want to leave you with. A group of weak, tender-hearted servants with a great capacity for sacrifice and the mind of Christ are a joyful group. Coming together means joy. And so it might seem counterintuitive to you, but it's the truth, right? The early church became famous because of its intense joy. And people couldn't quite figure out why they were so joyful, because they were a bunch of weak, tender-hearted servants who were sacrificing left, right, and center. And nevertheless, there was this great joy, which was always bubbling up. A few years ago, um, I watched a YouTube video where uh, a pastor called Richard Vermbrand was speaking. And Richard Vermbrand was a Romanian Christian who had been kept in uh, communist prisons for 14 years. He said, I never saw a color for 14 years. Richard Vermbrand went through unspeakable suffering for the sake of his faith and for the sake of his friends. And the thing about this YouTube video which caught my attention and the thing about this YouTube video which has changed my life is what Richard Vermbrand said right off the bat before he told any of his stories. He has a beautiful Romanian accent, but I won't try to do it. And he says, everyone always says, everyone always welcomes me and says, here's the Reverend Vermbrand. He's come to tell us some sad stories about his time in communist prison. And then he says, I never know what they're talking about because I only have stories of great joy. I thought, how can he say that? He spent 14 years in a communist prison and yet he only has stories of great joy. But the truth is, Richard Vermbrand, during his time in prison, was together with a group of weak, tender-hearted servants who had a great capacity for sacrifice in the mind of Christ. And because of that, there was great joy. And so, 
Isn't that lovely? Isn't Christ good? That he enables us to live such a life no matter our circumstances. Let's pray. Precious Jesus, you are a weak, tender-hearted servant with a great capacity for sacrifice. And your mind is beautiful. Your, your heart for your people is beautiful. And Lord Jesus, we love you and we want to be more like you. We thank you for becoming weak for our sake. We thank you for humbling yourself for our sake so that we might become like you. And Father, I pray that this group of people would be characterized by the kind of intense joy that comes from becoming more like you and coming together and serving one another. I pray these things in your name, Lord. Amen.